Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Courtney Willis-Blair, the U.S. Senior Director in White Cube's first public gallery in New York City. She joined in January of 2023. Courtney will be responsible for shaping the gallery's curatorial program and brand, both in the region and across the United States. A member of White Cube's Global Board of Directors, she will play a key role in shaping the strategy for the gallery internationally. She was formerly a partner and senior director at Mitchell, Ennis & Nash, where she led artists' canonical strategy and institutional engagement in the U.S. and internationally, from projects at Documenta and the Sao Paulo Biennial to exhibitions at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art, the Jewish Museum, Museum of Modern Art, the Whitney Museum of American Art, and the Speed Art Museum. As a writer and journalist, she has profiled some of the world's leading artists, architects, and curators. She is the founder of Entrenew, an international body of black women art dealers established in 2016, and serves on the boards of The Kitchen, Triple Canopy, and the International Studio and Curatorial Program. Please visit whitecube.com for her original and expanded bio, and enjoy this episode featuring Courtney Willis-Blair. Courtney, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I am excited to feature you. When did you recognize your interest in the visual arts? You know, I think I've always been attracted to beautiful things in the world, sort of enamored by, you know, imagination and creativity. And as a young kid, I was you know, compelled towards sort of history and philosophy and language and and all of those things quite early on. But I had a lot of trouble with sort of the institution and the rigidity of the institution. And it was just hard for me to align these two things, one which felt sort of at its core was wild and free and the other, which had just so many rules. And it wasn't until I uh, started working in museums because I needed a summer job. And I was working with a woman named Olivia White, who in many ways has really been foundational in how my career has gone. It wasn't until I was working with people who understood both the institution um, and visual art quite deeply that I think my love of it just totally exploded. And when did you enter the curatorial field? Well, my story is is not so linear. In fact, I, um, for a long time, thought that I was going to be an editor, um, and particularly a magazine editor. And when I left school, it was a really sort of tumultuous time, both for the economy and for the publishing world and, and the media landscape as a whole. There was 
what I like to call an identity crisis that media was going through, right? You know, it was was sort of the late aughts. And there were companies like AOL and Yahoo, who were still major players in the space, Huffington Post, print publications like newspapers and the New York Times were either consolidating or trying to figure out how to make online profitable. And I think that there were a lot of things that occurred, which made me realize that actually pivoting and going into the art industry would be not only rewarding in terms of what it was that I was looking to do, which was to work with creative minds and help to realize projects, but also that I could really see a path forward for myself. And so that really occurred around 2012 when I decided to start working more seriously in galleries. I had done internships at museums. I was a docent at the Studio Museum for quite a few years. And so I had some art world experience, but it wasn't until 2012 that I really sort of doubled down on the idea of this um, as a full-time career. Was there ever a point or a moment when you considered being an artist? You know, I don't know if anyone becomes an artist. I mean, I think you just are or you aren't in a lot of ways. I mean, of course, you could become a professional artist or a working artist. But I think at its core, being an artist is incredibly innate. I've always been a writer, and I treasure that part of myself. But I was always more interested in helping artists to realize the ambitions of their imagination. What type of relationship do you like to have with artists? An honest one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I think oftentimes you find that artists are infantilized or are treated in a certain way or are not given the, the benefit of being fully present in their own careers. And I think what then happens is that there begins to be this tension, right, this sort of push and pull between the dynamics of power, which I personally do not find interesting at all. I think artists, especially the artists that I work with, are professionals, they're adults, they have real ideas about what they want to see, real goals. And I think when you can have an honest relationship, that's really the beginning of having a trusting one. And I think only then can you really get to, you know, the things that will sort of blow the minds of the world, right? Because you have an ability to work in such a way that realizing what can be sometimes these unwieldy or completely unheard of ideas, right? I mean, that's the exciting part of working with artists. You can really bring those into fruition. And so for me, it is crucial that my relationships with artists are honest and open. What do you feel are the greatest challenges facing artists today? There are many things. I think we are right now in a period of time where AI feels very exciting because it's new and it is still very much being built and and figured out. There's this sort of novelty towards it. And I think artists are going to have to figure out not just how to exist within a world that has AI and that has this technology that's moving at an incredibly rapid pace, but also what sets them apart. I think that's one of the the big questions of our time. I think another challenge for artists right now is really making sure that the there will always be outside factors, I think, that impact how an artist can continue a practice, right? And those can be personal factors like family or finances. They can be larger factors like political situations. 
And so I think that these are sort of ongoing challenges and, and they're nuanced in a lot of ways and they change over time. But ultimately, the question that every artist has to ask themselves is what kind of artist do they want to be and how do they carve out that space that they need and the time that they need with all of these other factors going on around them to create the art that feels meaningful to create. What trends other than AI would you say are a little disturbing? I wouldn't necessarily call the trend of AI disturbing only because I think that it could open up you know, new worlds and really great opportunities. I think we have a responsibility that we have to take on. And I think it's a big one, these AI companies, but also people, right, who are going to be using these, these technologies. And I think that is, is the big unknown, whether or not we will take that responsibility seriously and how we will sort of navigate the world with those responsibilities that we have. In terms of other trends that I think ask big questions of us or demand, you know, big things of us, you know, the market in general, I think can be a very complicated one. And there are moments where you see a lot of frenzy or a lot of attention to one thing. And there's this question of whether or not bubbles are being created. And that's done in a way I think that is often short-sighted and and can often be spoken about with a tone of one of the isms, whether it's sexism or racism or whatever. And I think the trend of the market, and, and don't get me wrong, because I think it's very, very important that artists have livelihood. I think there's sometimes a inability to reconcile the idea that an artist can be a sincere and a great artist and also make a ton of money. I don't think that being a professional artist necessarily requires you to make a choice between, or being a great artist doesn't necessarily require you to make a choice between making money and making work. But I do think that that oftentimes the pressures of the market and the pressures of what's happening with your peers around you can sometimes impact how artists make work and what they decide leaves their studio or what they decide to put out in the world. And I think that can oftentimes be an element of this industry that artists just have to be conscious of. Do you feel the Black Lives Matters movement had a a real impact on the mission of art institutions? Well, I guess it depends on how you define real. Many institutions recognized that the Black Lives Matter movement and the subsequent movements of activism, whether they had anything to do with immigration or racism or even sexism within the industry and and our world at large. I think a lot of these institutions recognize that these things were not things that they could ignore any further. The impact of this, I think, has been sometimes institutions are incredibly conscious of the optics of their institutions in a way that I don't think necessarily generates change and growth. I do think that it is fantastic that we have seen a more equitable landscape in terms of exhibitions, in terms of works entering into collections, in terms of artists who are getting their names and their work um, and their ideas into history books. Now, whether or not the institution is going to be a catalyst or even ground zero, right, in terms of change. I don't know that I see the institution as being where that change starts 
or even where it really grows. I think the institutions for a long time, just in terms of their mission, right, in terms of what they are and what they say they are, and making sure that they stay true to that mission so that they can continue to be funded and supported, does not allow for a lot of um, experimentation or for change. Now, there are avant-garde institutions, places like the kitchen or performance space um, or artist space, where you've got you know incredible curators and leaders of those spaces, like Legacy Russell, for example, that are doing really good things on the ground. And I think those things are important. But I think the bigger the institution the more likely it is that the change that will come will not start there. Do you feel Black art can be defined? No, I don't think Black art can be defined. I mean, I think it's difficult to define art, right, for a lot of people. A lot of people can say what art is not, but they're not able to really put succinctly what art is. And even more so than that, I think, I think it's incredibly reductive to try to define Black art or any kind of art that is made because of someone's race or their gender or even their culture. Certainly you can find similarities between things that come up because an artist has dealt with circumstances in life that are familiar to other people. But no, Black art can't be defined. And I think for those that do define it or try to define it, they're missing out on a whole host of of art, which is unfortunate. What do you feel is the role of the collector? I mean, I think a collector can take on many roles. I think the most important role of the collector is custodianship. It's also the most important role of the institution. In a lot of ways, I think when a collector decides that they want to collect art, they will often focus their collecting in some way. And it's not always easily definable outside of their own minds, but it, I do think great collectors give themselves parameters. And for the collectors who collect particular artists in depth, where they're able to really almost create a, a story, right? I think the most important thing they can do as custodianship is really the, the care of that work, which then leads to the care of the artist, right? Because they're able to purchase work that can then allow for, for the artist to continue to make work, to live, to raise his or her or their kids, you know, to take care of their families, to eat, to travel, to come up with new ideas, to give themselves space and time to continue to do the things that they're meant to do. And so that to me is the most important element or aspect of collecting for any collector. Share with us, what are the various career opportunities do you feel young people entering the industry should consider, both in the museum space as well as uh, in the gallery world? So the museum structure slightly differs from the gallery structure in terms of roles that are available. And then, of course, within those two organizations, you have, you know, larger companies and you have smaller ones. And so that can also affect the number of opportunities and also the the structure. I mean, I've worked at incredibly small organizations the majority of my career where it had never been more than 20 people and oftentimes was less than 10. And the smaller the organization is, the, I think, more expansive your role can be because you have an opportunity to do a lot of different things. I mean, when I was first working in a gallery, it was me and one other person. And so I was doing everything from art handling to writing invoices to doing condition reports you know, to selling work, to curating the space. 
I think a lot of the roles in these companies and in these organizations are oftentimes overlooked because the kind of more glamorous ones are the ones that are put to the forefront. Every museum will have, you know, their curatorial department, but they'll also have, you know, their their finance department, conservation, archiving, research, education, retail. There are all sorts of ways that you can be involved in a museum. And, and the gallery world is slightly different, but takes on many of these same roles. And so the larger galleries will have more departments where you see publications, curatorial, again, finance. You know, at White Cube, for example, we have artist liaisons, we have sales liaisons, we have tech people who are art handlers, we've got operations, we have people who are in video and photography. You can enter into these worlds in quite a few different ways. And I think it really depends on what you're skill set level is and what you like to do. I think there are four things to kind of consider whenever you want to take on a role or pursue a career path. I think you want to consider what you're good at. I think you want to consider what you enjoy doing. And I think you want to consider what impact you're going to have, not only on your team, on the company that you're working for, but also ultimately the world, right? And I think that's one of the great things about working with artists is that that's not a element that is far off. You can very easily impact the world because we get to work with artists who put their work out into the world and are able to start real conversations, make real change and create. It is the thing that to me allows for the movement and the progression of of what we see. Is there a particular art movement that you favor? You know, I think there are many art movements that I really love and I favor. I can walk into any museum and I can say, well, maybe not any museum, but many museums. And I can say, (laughs) you know, that there's work on this wall or on these walls that I just like absolutely am floored by. And that can be across time, that could be across geography, that can be across culture, everything. Because you can find great artists regardless of time period, style, whatever. What I tend to really kind of fall in love with over and over again, oftentimes is conceptual work. I just am so compelled by a certain level of brilliance that requires the material to come into play after the idea exists. And to me, that's really exciting because it means that you're not beholden to any one material or a set of parameters that can be very limiting. Instead, you can start with something that is actually quite expansive and unwieldy, and uh, there's a lot of freedom in that. And then and only then does something like how that is executed come into play. So the physicality of it comes after the idea. And that to me is really exciting. So what are you excited about right now? White Cube, New York. (laughs) (laughs) Happy anniversary. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It has been a hell of a year. We opened the gallery in October to the public with a a group show called Chopped and Screwed and followed that up with just a phenomenally rigorous and beautiful and sort of searing show by, by Tracy Emin, which is on view until the 13th. I believe that this podcast will come out after the show closes. Um, But we've had incredible numbers. I mean, people have been coming two, three, four times, which is really exciting. 
we've got a great uh, lineup of programming um, in front of us. We've got the Astor Gates, which will be on view from the end of January, January 25th until March 2nd, followed by an exhibition of work by Richard Hunt, who we uh, recently tragically lost at the end of last year. Um, But I am so excited for New York to see these works. I mean, they are, I mean, he is just a phenomenal, phenomenal sculptor and artist. And, um, and it's time that, um, that the work is shown. And then uh, followed up by, by Anthony Gormley. Um, And so I think that there will be a lot of interesting things for people to come in to the gallery to see. I'm excited for um, what we have in store. Um, I'm excited about our growth. I'm excited about public programming that we will be doing more and more. It is uh, really nice that we're back to sort of exhibition making uh, rather than opening a space. <laughs> you know, opening a building in New York is, um, is certainly a feat in itself, but it's, it's really exciting to, to be in that space to see how artists are, are thinking about that space, the shows that we are um, able to, to put together, and all of the things that, that come from that. Let's also talk about the organization that you are part of, Entrenu. Share with listeners what the mission is. Uh, so Entrenu began in uh, December of 2016. Uh, so we are a little over six, no, let's see, that's seven years. Wow, time really does fly. Um, it is an organization, it's an international organization. We started with just members in New York, but we have grown and uh, we have members in uh, throughout the U.S. Um, and in Europe as well, the U.K., and Switzerland. And we have really, I think, grown in a lot of different ways, not only in terms of, of numbers, but also in terms of where we were seven years ago and where we are now. It began with an impetus that... We just needed to know each other. So the the group is really Black women who are in some way um, a part of the art market. And so uh, it is mostly dealers, so um, uh, gallerists and advisors, as well as uh, people who are in the auction house. And there is no sort of rigid set of missions. I don't know if I've made this clear yet, but I love, I like freedom. (laughs) I like flexibility. I like nimbleness. (laughs) Um, and so it was important for me that the sort of core tenet of this group was that we could create the relationships that we needed to create for ourselves, right? And that was both collectively and individually. And so there are women in the group who talk to each other every day. There are women in the group who call on each other to do really big deals with or that need, you know, advice about something and they have someone to go with. And they've created these relationships with each other that I think is incredibly crucial. And then collectively, we also all talk and share information and someone needs to understand how to get in touch with, you know, they need recommendations for art handlers in Hong Kong, right? We were able to provide that. Or if there's, they're looking for a reference, right, for a a new client, we're, we're able to provide that. And so it really has been an incredibly organic organization. And the way that we meet is throughout the year, we we do dinners. And um, not everyone can come to every dinner all the time, but we do try to do the dinners in New York as well as um, outside of New York, oftentimes during art fairs when a lot of us, when there's sort of a critical mass of us traveling um and then we we keep in touch on a on a group chat as well but it's been it's been incredible it's been 
one, it's been really great to see that the sheer number of Black women um, who are in the art market has grown. For a long time, I think we were there, but we were, we, people did not necessarily know us. I remember seeing an Instagram post years ago by someone who I know, who I speak to relatively regularly. We're, we're definitely in touch. It's always great when I see them. And they put up a post about um, a colleague and a friend of mine that said, like, the only Black dealer in Chelsea. And I kept thinking, well, you know me and I'm a Black dealer in Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, in, I think in a lot of ways, um, it was very easy for people to, to overlook us. And I was not so interested in banging on the table and saying, we're here. But what I was interested in was making sure that we knew that we were here and that we had somewhere to go when the nuances of our, um, our daily lives, you know, particularly within a professional setting, needed some community around it. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I think the founding of Entrenuke came from an incredibly selfish place um, because I knew I knew I needed that. Um, and I was just hoping that other people would be willing to, to join me. And, you know, they did without hesitation. So this question is, is loaded. It's the last one. What do you feel is the purpose of art and what do you feel is your role? So the purpose of art. I'll tell you a story. So when I first went to school, I was a broadcast journalism major. And I quickly realized, besides the fact that broadcast journalism wasn't for me, that it was an incredibly pragmatic major. It was very much about the production, the logistics, how to structure a story. And I almost immediately recognized that I was missing out on the conversations that I wanted to have. I had these lofty ideas of being in like in an lecture in a lecture hall debating, you know, the state of the world through the lens of journalism, because I thought that that would be I mean, what better way to talk about the state of the world than the, the vehicle that talks about the state of the world. I had taken an art history course, an AP art history course in high school. And it's outside of the history of religions, it's probably the only class that I really remember, like, you know, intimately. And I had always felt compelled towards history and, uh, and English and the history of religions class and this art history class. But art history became a way for me to deal with all of these other things, philosophy, religion, culture, politics, science, which I didn't feel you could really do with any other major. And I think that's what the purpose of art is, is that it can infiltrate and find these sort of through lines through all of these different things, all of these different ways that we uh, enter into the world, that we understand the world, that we approach the world. You get it all in art, every part of it. And so I think the purpose of art is to uphold that. It allows for a certain type of curiosity. And I think only with curiosity and imagination and beauty, and uh, and even within that destruction, and even sort of disbelief at times, all of that can be found in art. And all of that is what is going to allow us to build the worlds we want to build, to build the lives we want to build. I mean, you get that all in art. And so I think that's the purpose of art. In terms of my role in it, I ask myself, what is my purpose? Or what is my impact? What is the impact that I want to have? And for a long time, I think 
it felt very overwhelming to overwhelming and also quite arrogant <laughs> to consider that I could have an impact on the world, right? I mean, what a what an ambitious goal. And then I realized that it's not actually about that. It's about my world, right? It's about the relationships that I can have with artists and with my colleagues uh, and my, you know, my peers in the industry. It's about the ways that I can fight for the things that I believe in. It's the ways in which I can hold sort of my own integrity intact, right? Even when there are so many ways that you can lose your integrity. So I think that my role starts and ends with how I want to show up for people, for the work, and for the organization. And and from there, it, it, can, it can spread out, right? From there, it can be infectious. Thank you so much for your time. And I just really appreciate your answers. Thank you, Phyllis. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.